politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and American revolutionaries to the one and only CR podcast here for a brand new week, a brand new month and a brand new year at Blaze Media. Daniel Horowitz, your host, back in the house, eager as ever to fight the good fight. And you know what? This year, it's already January 4th. We have no time to waste. And not just because this week is going to be a momentous week. It's really the year. This is the year that will determine, without any exaggeration, whether we shall remain free as a people for civil and religious liberty, whether we will have any modicum of ordered liberty, constitutional republicanism, in really any significant part of this country. We always hear from these phony Republicans that, well, this is the most important election of our lifetime. It's not really elections anymore. As you could tell, they don't really matter. It's about what we do on the ground as a people to fight back. It means in the private sector. It means in the schools, in the businesses. And really at a governmental level, it begins at a county and state level. And we're going to really work this hard this year. That is my commitment to work on solutions as always. We don't just complain about issues and identify problems. Just today, I have a seven-point plan on how conservatives can fight back. At a state and local level, you could see all my articles at theblaze.com. Just Google my name and click on the chronology of my columns. We're going to talk about some of those items today about what we can do. Because again, it's not even so much what happens this week that's going to matter. The Georgia Senate race really doesn't matter much. And we'll see what happens Tuesday night. We'll see what happens when we come back Wednesday. But it doesn't matter what happens when Republicans have a 51-seat majority with rhinos. Um, you know, Not just the fact that most of the Senate Republicans are rhinos, but I mean, even if you just isolate Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins, you'll see it doesn't make much of a difference. But what are we going to do in the states where Republicans have full trifecta control with supermajorities often? In the counties where they control everything? In counties that Trump carried by 20, 30, 40, 50 points? Trump carried 83% of the counties. Why do we have tyranny in those counties? This is going to be the year when we answer the question, how much is too much? What is the point where we will finally get the silent majority to stand up? Where we will finally think outside the box towards new horizons, not just focusing on this phony party? And there's a lot of ways to do this. And I'm going to be involved in all that. I'm going to give this 150% of my effort because you guys are so nice to actually indulge this show, pass it on to your friends and relatives. If you can, drop me a five-star review at iTunes. This show is one of the fastest-growing conservative podcasts. And for good reason, because a lot of you are starving for something new, for independent-minded conservatism that looks beyond the same failed strategies of the past, but still wants those old, true, time-tested constitutional principles to prevail. Now, folks, 
for today's show, I want to introduce a new partner that I want you to check out. And that is constitutioncoach.com. Constitutioncoach.com. Most conservatives say they love the Constitution, but so few actually have studied it and understand how to apply it and how to defend it. They offer classes in the Constitution and also classes in self-defense and concealed carry, defensive shooting. So many people have guns, learn how to shoot, but don't really have the discipline to know how to win a gunfight, which unfortunately, increasingly, we are facing. Some of you noticed I've been out. I was out a couple days end of December. I was actually in Front Sight, Nevada, training with my buddy Rick Green, America's Constitution coach. And their defense course that they give there is just an amazing combination of intellectual ammunition and real-life physical training in the premier firearms training facility in the country. Folks, this is a way you guys have been asking, like, you know, where am I? Because I'm always a hermit. I don't go to any of these events and speaking engagements. I'm not going to be at CPAC because it's a phony conservative group. It's not conservative at all. Here's your chance to meet me. I'm going out again in February. Go to constitutioncoach.com and you could check the dates they have there. They have a three-day and a five-day class. I think I'm going to be there at this point for the three-day at the beginning of the week, um, February 7th. Mark that date. And remember, folks, you know, front site training typically is very, very expensive. It runs 1000 to $2,000 per class. But if you do this through constitutioncoach.com on this show, it will literally be just $100, $150, uh, depending on the class, if it's the three-day, the five-day. I mean, you're talking about as much as an 80%, 90% discount. And here's the thing. You can meet me. You can meet the fe- fellow patriots from the show. This is how we can get together and organize some of our Minutemen groups, state by state, county by county, to go and see how we could promote a sanctuary for American liberties and work on our sheriffs and work on our school board and county uh, commission officials. This is a great way to network. Join our fellow patriots from this show and have the best self-defense training you'll ever get. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. And um, folks, this is, this is something that I'm very excited about. So kudos to our friends at Patriot Academy. Again, Constitution Coach. Dot com. Make sure to sign up within the next two weeks or so because obviously space is limited and they're going to need to know, um, you know, look, it costs to fly and obviously you got to, you know, find a place to stay. But we're talking about 80, 90% off on the best self-defense training. It's, it's a great way to just uh, make a vacation out of it. Where else are you going to go now anyway <laughs> with all the tyranny? There really is nowhere to go and enjoy yourself. This is a sanctuary. You go there. You don't have to wear a diaper on your face. Fellow patriots and um, really good instructors. Uh, they really taught me so much. Um, and I had the time of my life. And I'm looking forward to seeing you again. So there's a lot going on and a lot of immediate opportunities we have in a state level with state legislatures meeting this week or next week for their legislative session. Remember, as we debate what Republicans can do if Biden's president, 
Democrats have the House and a Senate that is divided, but really not because the left really has 90 votes there. Ask yourself this. Why do we not have a solid agenda on COVID fascism, liberty, crime, self-defense, election law in the 24 to 31 states that Republicans control? In the 2,000 plus counties that they control? Where is this conservative movement pushing a forward-looking agenda? You see, you can't blame that on the Democrats. They have the power there. Well, we have learned this past year is that states could do whatever they want so long as they push tyranny. Well, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. If they are going to basically secede from the country like they did in New York and California under Trump's presidency, well, then we could follow the Constitution. How much more so we can do it when we, when we are actually following the rule of law in the states that supposedly reflect our values. But obviously, I'm going to want to get into some of the news of the day, what's going on in Congress first, because I think the importance of this fight on the certification of the election, it's not that it's going to go anywhere, but it's the more the people understand that there was election fraud, the more we will allow them to realize that there is governing fraud. And by that, I mean, where even if they're legitimately elected, they do illegitimate things with that power, like suspend the most foundational civil liberties and lock up business owners for simply utilizing their property rights. We've all seen the thugs in Canada using the police to go after people who have five friends or relatives in their home. We have become worse than China. China had pretty large New Year celebrations, even in uh, Wuhan. We've become like North Korea, albeit with a printing press. Except that money only goes to those tied into the political class, not to small businesses. So that is going to be our challenge this year. And that's why I think this, this election fight is so important Because I want people to understand that we are screwed. And that the only choice is to fight back at a local level. So we'll focus on national politics for this week. And it's not like there won't be stuff to focus on throughout the year. But my pledge is to really start to push the art of the achievable at a local and state level. So folks, I want to begin before we get to my seven immediate action items for conservatives. Let's get into the next two days. And I'm not going to talk about the Georgia Senate race, but the other big momentous event of this week. There seems to be this fetish with people on our side, and it's a growing problem. And I'm not just talking about the rhinos. I mean, they obviously, they hate Trump. They hate conservatism, even divorced from Trump. They were never fighting for us even before Trump, but they use him as an excuse. Look, I got my issues with him too. This has nothing to do with with that. There's a group of people that love being principled, but they're so principled that they're unprincipled. It says in Psalms 18.26, I want you to hear this carefully. With a kind one, you show yourself kind. 
With a sincere man, you show yourself sincere. With a pure one, you show yourself pure. But with a crooked one, you deal crookedly. Well, is the Bible telling people to lie, cheat, and steal? No, it's expressing a principle that you can't have a one-way street. You can't sit and follow the Constitution from A to Z and have the other side violate it a hundred times in the most severe way, and then anything and everything you do to try to give voice to it, not just combat it, but just to even protest it and expose what they're doing, oh, that's unconstitutional, and that's not principled. At some point, you can't do this. And, and we've had this this entire time with the election fraud. What do you do when one side steals an election in two ways? Okay? Not just the fact that there's the ballot fraud and all the stuff they did, but the way they got most of the ballot fraud was through mail-in ballots, literally nullifying Election Day, which is another clause, Article 1, Section 4 of the Constitution, with early voting and late voting, Mail-in ballots is the entire election, not pursuant to state law. That that Article 1, Section 2, Clause, uh, Section 4, Clause 2, vests the state legislatures with that power. And governors and uh, election boards and federal judges overrode that. We are only in the position we are today because federal courts have blocked every ability to institute election integrity for the last 10 to 15 years in all these states. You can't say, oh, well, we have to win more elections, and when we get in, you know, we'll do what the other, go- you know, what our governors want. No, because then the federal courts come in. Just as we were debating this, I pointed out in Kansas, the 10th Circuit and the Supreme Court agreed, said that Kansas cannot require proof of citizenship to register to vote. And these people, some friends of mine, they're like, oh, this is federalism. Congress can't come in and, you know, override the state electors. And I'm thinking, like, where was your passion along with Mark Levin? Like, why didn't you join Mark Levin, who was yelling the last few months before the election, when they openly went and nullified state election law? And a lot of times there were federal lawsuits and they settled based on them to not require signatures. Do you know do you know in Minnesota the same dirtbag judge Sarah Gruing in, in Ramsey County that is threatening to lock up Larvita McFarker for opening her business and we'll talk about that hopefully a little later or later this week. She actually was the judge that unilaterally shredded the signature verification law in Minnesota. And this happened in every state. And I didn't hear from these people, oh, federalism, federalism. States have the power to do, no, state legislatures. Article 1, Section 4, Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2. State legislatures determine the qualifications of the electors. And they nullified it. And they were never worried. I never heard this concern. Oh my gosh, Democrats are opening a can of worms Creating a quote precedent. You're hearing a lot of, you know, a lot about a precedent by basically saying that the entire electorate is mail in now and that they could just declare COVID and nullify election law. Then again, I haven't heard from any of them warning about the precedent 
of what they're setting on liberties with COVID. What I can't wrap my arms around is I'm not even that into this election fight. I mean, I am, but I'm more focused on my other projects to save the republic, on fighting back at a local level, fighting COVID fascism, fighting jailbreak, fighting for stand-your-ground laws. It's funny, I don't see their passion anywhere. They have no passion when the left violates the Constitution a hundred times. And it's not whataboutism, like, oh, they violated, so we violated. It's in the very issue we're dealing with, we are only in this position because they overrode federalism with the federal courts. So when we get our one avenue to have a say, suddenly you can't do it. Now look, I'll be the first to tell you this is a gray area. If you want to know academically where I stand, it's a gray area. But what do you do when the other side violates in black and white every tenet of the Constitution, of election law, of electoral norms? And that's somehow not a problem. And yet... Anything that we have to do, which which sometimes are gray areas, but only because they cut off the black and white areas we could do because of the federal courts, because of that stuff. It's not what aboutism. What aboutism is, you know, BLM and Antifa go and riot and harm innocent people. So therefore, let's say we want to fight COVID fascism. We're going to do the same and harm innocent people. Now, I'm going to talk about this in the coming days. We need interposition. We need the doctrine of lowest magistrate and to fight back at a local level and self-defense against government takings. But that's going to be a purely defensive maneuver against those going after us, not, you know, we're not going and doing violence and certainly not on, on innocent people. But if someone kidnaps your wife and hides them in a building like, well, you know, I want to bust in there, break the window, or get in with a flashbang. Well, you're going to damage property. You can't do that, Daniel. Yeah, but, I mean, they put them in there. That's my only way of getting it. I wasn't the one who did that. This is where we could apply Lincoln's adage. It was really Justice Robert Jackson in a 1948 case where the Constitution is not a suicide pact. But really, Lincoln established that principle in his attorney general, Edward Bates, when he suspended habeas corpus. And again, it was a gray area because the Constitution does say you could suspend it in a time of rebellion. And the question was, is it the president or is it Congress that has that authority? It was kind of unclear in the Constitution. Most things we deal with with the left, it's black and white. But there are areas where either it's unclear or it just there there is no answer. They just didn't think of or spell out every contingency. And we're going to go through some of the specifics with that. We're definitely going to go through some of the specifics. But I just want to say just purely politically, when we say the Constitution is not a suicide pact, it doesn't mean ignore the Constitution. But what it does mean is that you can't have the other side achieve an advantage based on 100 black and white violations of the Constitution. And then your move to fight that The only things you have left as a result of the illegalities they did is maybe not the cleanest thing that's 100% clear it's correct. Oh, suddenly, oh, you can't do that. Well, what's your plan? 
So let's first deal with the political argument and we'll deal with the academic constitutional argument. So politically, it's like, well, you're basically setting a precedent that, you know, whoever controls Congress doesn't like the situation. So, you know, the Democrats one day might do this. They might say, you know, if we have where we win the Electoral College and, you know, after Election Day, we're ahead and win the returns and certify the election. And they'll say, I think you cheated. And they'll say, we're not certifying it. So, first of all, it's kind of funny because these people believe that Congress has no role in certification and it's just a nothingness. So then what's the problem? You're not really doing anything. You're just protesting. So, I mean, get your story straight. But more fundamentally... More fun- fundamentally, this argument I find so offensive, not even because of this election fraud issue, but because of everything. Are they living in the real world? They're like, you know what? It reminds me of the arguments of, you know, we can't waterboard terrorists to get vital information when someone's dying because then we might really tick off. Al-Qaeda and set a precedent that if if one of our guys falls in their hands, then they'll torture him. Well, dude, that ship has sailed. You can't anger and 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 stoke Al-Qaeda more than they are. They will already take any advantage they have. And if you fall in their hands, they're going to torture you. So you better be carrying cyanide. Okay, that, that ship has sailed. The Democrats, they're ignoring, they're talking about speculative what the Democrats might do based on our response to what they have already done, which is worse. Oh, they might override Republicans winning an election with a certification protest. I'll do you one better. They have already ensured that we could never win an election even before that process because the pres- of the precedent they set with mail-ins and with fraud that you are going to sign off with by not protesting this. That's the bigger issue. This argument of we can't fight because the Democrats might use it. I'm not saying it's never valid, but in the times we live in, it's rarely going to be a valid train of thought because they have already maxed out. And it's like, so some of the more principled ones are like, well, you know, the legislature should have sent another slate. But you know what? 90% of the rest of those guys fought me on that issue. They're like, no, the state legislatures can't do it either. And what's interesting is their point is like, you're basically nullifying the people and you're saying that ultimately it's what's going to wind up happening is whoever controls Congress could pick the... um. The president, and clearly the founders didn't want Congress to pick the president. But the problem with that is, what they're suggesting is, and what what has happened and what will happen, is whoever controls the governorships in the swing states at that given election is going to always win the election. Because they're going to nullify election law in a way that's going to ensure their guy will win. And then they'll pick the slate of electors based on that. So two people could play this game. So where there's ambiguity, and I'm going to talk about why it's not clear, who determines a, con- a contested election? Like it, There's no clear process spelled out for that. There's a congressional vote counting, and there's a question of like how binding that is, how ceremonial. Well, who did determ- And the answer is there really is nothing clear. I think purely academically, this is an area where I think everyone should agree 
theoretically, there should be a clarification of the 12th Amendment, and we should write a constitutional amendment to, to kind of clear that up. That needed to be done after 1876, really, and it, and it wasn't done. They just confused things more with that law they wound up passing. But the point is, I'm sick of hearing about whenever a state has a power and the federal courts nullify it, which is why we're in this electoral morass, they have nothing to say. They never say federalism. Suddenly, when you're talking about an issue that a state fraud that infects and effects the most fundamental federal question, they're like, state powers. Now, nothing is ideal here. None of us will disagree with that. But what do you do if, if let me just make it black and white for you. Black and white. These people aren't talking about, let's say, now you might say this is not what happened, but let's just indulge me for a minute. You take what they're saying to its logical conclusion. If Democrats control the governorships in any given state, they could just say, dude, Trump sucks. He's a danger. He's a Nazi. Or let's just say next time, let's say Ron DeSantis runs. I'm not saying he will, but let's say he runs governor of Florida, runs for president four years. And they're like, dude, this guy's a danger. He's too conservative. This can't happen. And the Democrats, let's say, hold the governorships in the, you know, five or so critical states. And they're like, we're just going to rig the election. Let's say they say it openly. And we appoint this slate of electors. Let me do you one better. Let's say they control the state legislatures too. So, you know, because you might say, well, if they say it openly, then the Republican legislatures will at least fight back. Okay. Maybe, maybe not. This is This was pretty open. I mean, it, it was open that they churned out millions of mail-in ballots not pursuant to law. That is that is essentially what has happened. Right? Even before we get into fraud or questions of dominion. But let's make it more black and white. They say everyone could vote on the internet. Or just they just say, look, you know, we're just certifying Biden or the Democrat is the winner. We're appointing the slate because we think the Republican is a Nazi and this is not who we are. You take it to their logical conclusion. And the, and the senators and congressmen who vote to count the delegations could not vote no. They would have to vote yes, because otherwise you're overriding what the states decided, right? Meaning, according to their argument, the fact, how legitimate the, art, the argument of fraud shouldn't make a difference. The powers in the states, that's what they're saying. So that would mean that we would have to accept that result. What is more dangerous an entire body of two branches of Congress coming together to decide a contested... Again, obviously, we all agree that it's supposed to function. The states hold an election, and they, based on the appoint electors, and that's it. But there is another layer that is mentioned in the 12th Amendment of counting the votes with the vice president presiding over a joint session of Congress... And them voting to count the votes. That is there. And it was understood that way in 1876 when they adhered to the Constitution a lot more than we did. Neither is an ideal situation. Our founders did not want Congress to choose. But ultimately, if there is a dispute, 
what would you rather have? A few parochial states deciding it or the totality of the federal union on a federal question? It's not enough to say I'm a state person. It depends on the issue. It depends what we're talking about. If it's a state election, fine. Maybe even House or Senate. Federal. But president, no. It's not ideal. It's a gray area. But what they're proposing is even worse. Now, ultimately, ultimately, at the end of the day, you do see in the 12th Amendment, you do see... It's not like there's no role for Congress. You see, for example, when there is no majority in the Electoral College. Why didn't they just amend the Constitution and say it goes to the highest vote getter? Right. Let's say you have three, four candidates like you used to, and they all get certain electoral votes, and no one gets um, 270. Just go to the highest winner. Isn't that more democratic than saying, oh, if nobody gets a majority, Congress decides and you have a process, you vote by state delegation, and the House gets it for the president, the Senate for the vice president. So you see, I'm not saying it's clear that this, when when it's in dispute, it's tantamount to not having a majority. The straight and narrow would be you would vote normally and not by state delegation here. But what I'm just saying is in the spirit of the Constitution, you do see there was clear involvement of having them resolve it in that case. So it's not like, Daniel, oh my gosh, the founders clearly in the debate that the convention never wanted these dudes to decide, and you're deciding it. Well, no. In, In a normal case, not. But they clearly did in the 12th Amendment have Congress decide, um... This process, I mean, that was that was 100% clear when there's no majority. So what do you do when it's disputed? They say, well, there is a majority because they count the votes. But our party says there isn't. And this is what happened in 1876. They want to say that it ends December 14th or whenever it is pursuant to law when the electors meet. And this is just ceremonial. You open up the package. But clearly in 1876, that's not what both parties believed. It was understood you needed the certification and the House controlled by Democrats wouldn't confirm Hayes. And the Senate Republicans wouldn't sign off on Tilden. Meaning, according to them, they're basically saying, shut up, how dare you vote no. But by the fact that it comes before a vote, they mechanically vote on the each state at a time to certify, according to them, you have to vote yes. But it's not true because it's a yay or nay. I mean, when are you presented with the opportunity to vote on something and it's like, how dare you vote? No. I'm saying that's all they're doing. They're making it seem like we're like busting into the state capitol and machine gunning people or something. How dare you unprincipledly violate the Constitution? There is a vote and they're voting. And they're saying we want to vote no because we believe it was stolen. They're not going to have nearly enough votes because Republicans in the Senate are fools. It's going to be nowhere near 51. So it's not going to work. But that marker needs to be laid down. It it just makes no sense. 
Some of these people, they just lay down on the tracks. I don't get it. I'm a principled conservative. There's nothing principled about that. It's very gray what to do in that case. Now, I will admit that I'm not so into the vice president being able to unilaterally toss things out without it going to a vote. I think that's kind of weak. But I do think that the Congress as a body, which does vote on it, I do think they could reject it. And I do think once you reject it, you could say there's no majority and therefore technically, technically speaking, if House Republicans and Senate Republicans would stand up, they have a majority because Senate Republicans, they have a majority and the House, they have a majority of state delegations. Oh my gosh, you're nullifying, Daniel. What do you think these states did? They nullified. They nullified. In Pennsylvania, we went from 200,000 mail-ins to 3 million. Okay? All not pursuant to law. They nullified the election. They did that already. And none of these people were yelping, principled, Arguments against them overriding state legislatures, which is mentioned twice in the Constitution. Times, methods, and procedures of elections. Who controls that? You look in Article 1, Section 4, it's state legislatures, but ultimately, actually, there's one body that could even override state legislatures. It's not a governor. It's not a state or federal court. It's Congress. So it's not like we're coming with no involvement of Congress in the election process. It's clearly there. Again, we're not talking about allegations of fraud in the abstract. Oh, any election, the other side's going to accuse the other side of doing. It's they openly said because of COVID, we can't have a normal election. And they did that without changing the laws in the proper way. That is the issue here. They're the ones who did that. Everyone's forgetting that. It drives me nuts. Constitution is not a suicide pact. Now, yeah, the cleaner way should have been at the next level. State legislature should have appointed another slate. But you know what? 95% of the ones yelping now, they would have yelped at that too, and they were. Say, oh, you can't do that either. That's also not part of the Constitution, even though it is. They were the ones saying, no, according to the Constitution, the state legislatures already delegated their authority to the governors or the parties or the whatever, or the Secretary of State, and the, 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 you need a statute to take that back. It's not true. It's plenary power coming directly from the Constitution. And this was stated in the McPherson case in the 1890s. But no, they were, they were principled conservatives. That's not being principled anymore. That's being unprincipled. But anyway, the point is, these people, it's not like they're showing, show us another way. Hey, buddy, like, there's one thing if all these guys were like, pedal to the metal, look, Daniel, I'm joining your state project, your st sanctuary state project, and your declaration of rights, and to fight in the legislatures, and to fight in the counties. 
and we're going to fight for election law. And then when the federal courts come a knocking to screw with it, we're going to tell the federal courts off because we're going to be consistent in our principled federalism, right? I, I could, I could eat, I could bite, but they're not. What is the answer to the election fraud, the systemic election fraud? What is the answer to the COVID fascism? We are, I would argue that this is very minor. The fact that we're doing a gray area, I would argue we have the right to do black and white things against the constitution to save the constitution. Just because we are at the point, and I know people get uncomfortable when you say this, but it is in the Declaration of Independence as an unalienable right. And it's in almost every state constitution. Certainly the ones in the East that were done earlier, you know, in the in the history of the country. That you have the right to alter, modify, and abolish the government when it becomes tyrannical. And you know what they meant by that. You know what they meant by that. I don't need to tell you. Now, obviously, they said you don't do it for light and transient causes. But when you have what you have today where they are crushing our liberties to a point where there's nowhere we can go. If this is not that point that Jefferson said it is the right and the duty, I don't know what is. My state constitution, Maryland, Article 6 of the Maryland Declaration of Rights, that all persons invested with the legislative or executive powers of government are the trustees of the public and as such, accountable for their conduct. Wherefore, whenever the ends of government are perverted and public liberty manifestly endangered and all other means of redress are ineffectual, the people may and of right ought to reform the old or establish new government. The doctrine of non-resistance against arbitrary power and oppression is absurd, slavish, and destructive of the good and happiness of mankind. I mean, if that doesn't speak to today's time where we're like, okay, fine, you can have what you want. We'll do what we want in our states. No, federal courts say you can't do that. Okay, we'll try to win more elections. No, we're going to steal elections. And even when you win them, we'll have the federal courts come in and screw with you. Okay, well, then when you guys screw up elections, we'll go to the federal courts. No, federal courts say talk to the hand. It's a state issue. Okay, well, you know, fine, we have a tough laws. No, but we don't because criminals are let out to harm us. Okay, well, we'll defend ourselves. No, well, then you get locked up for defending yourself. This is a perverted government and there's, we have exhausted every means of redress. So you know what the founders thought should and would happen. And we're a mile over that line. But we're not even calling for that. We're saying, you know, the best thing to do is before like throwing everything out is to, you know, some sort of concept of doctrine of lowest magistrate to at least use parts of legitimate existing institutions as a buffer. Sheriffs against the state and the feds, local county governments to push back, the sanctuary movement. And yes, certainly the United States Congress. You know, I'm saying they're acting like we're like marching into Washington and like having a shooting war. We're just literally taking a vote that they have every four years and saying vote nay. <laughs> that, that's, that's what it is.
But I mean, this is the problem. This is why we can never solve anything. Because these so-called principled conservatives are more passionate about fragging their own side, whether they agree or disagree with the tactic, rather than affirmatively proposing their own tactic to fight the left and what they're doing. I mean, you look at what went on, everyone's talking about yesterday, how they literally said the word amen and a woman. These people are retarded. These people are nuts. You had the CDC last week change their guidance on pregnant women to pregnant people as if men could give birth. These are the people that are talking about COVID and, and, and what's scientific. You can't deal with a people like this. So the most nonviolent way of dealing with it is using the legitimate tools we already have, whether it's Congress on certification of federal election, and then what we're going to talk about mainly, which is obvious, at a state level, wherever we could assume power to say Biden is illegitimate and we are not accepting anything he does is null and void in this state. That's really where the fight needs to be. That's where my brain is focused because that's where we actually do have the ability to pressure Republicans. Here at the end of the day, they just don't have the votes. But I'm not seeing these guys stand up for their states there. They're only there to call a flag on our side. But you know what? That's not principled. That is not principled. You know, let, let, let me give you a great example. <clears throat> Take the state of Kentucky. Kentucky is the best state that I think we could test this with. Now, you might say, well, Daniel, that's not a trifecta control state. Democrat Bashir is the governor, but that's even better. Republicans have the legislature there. Now, Kentucky is a funny state where you could override a veto of a governor with a simple majority. And incidentally, they actually happen to have super majorities, like 75% anyway. So you even have like a rhino proof, well, I mean, sometimes the majority are rhinos, but you know what I mean? Like it's not, I mean, they, they, they have the ability not just to pass stuff, but to override Bashir's veto by a mile. They could govern from the legislature. And the reason why I'm focused on there is because Republicans are typically more righteous in a legislature when you have a Democrat governor versus where they have their own Republican governor and we have problems. So that's a place where, I'm forgetting what date in January the Kentucky legislature meets, but whatever that date is, that first day, it might be this week, COVID fascism should be gone. And if it's not gone, there's something wrong with what we're doing. Why are these grifting conservative organizations and figures and talkers and writers not making that play, not joining me in that? This is where the fight is. The election fraud, there's nothing we can do about for this election now. But by having that protest, we're going to lay down that marker and we're going to jazz people up and attune them to the fact that there is broad systemic governing fraud that needs to be dealt with. It's illegitimate. What Biden's going to promulgate is going to be illegitimate because he's not president and he never will be legitimately. And also because it, it's unconstitutional. Let me go on to, and again, I didn't get to my seven ways conservatives can fight back at a state and local level. Check Blaze, uh, theblaze.com for my column on that. But I want to get to one more story today. 
And I'm going to ask some of our principled constitutional conservatives a question about this. Now, I want to talk about Larvita McFarker. Because I think we get a little bit too desensitized and we don't understand and don't realize in our heart the severity of what is going on as we speak. Not in the future what the Democrats and the rhinos might do, but what is happening and has been happening. And this will continue unless we make it stop. And like I started out the show saying... This will be the year that determines whether we are a free people. And when I mean free, I mean, like, dude, the stuff going on is nothing, nothing we have ever experienced. King George did nothing like this. So it's kind of funny. Remember that line when Joe Biden once said that, uh, you know, Republicans are going to put you all back in chains? He told a group of black you know, black folks that, well, you know what's happening in Minnesota? They're literally threatening a black single mom business owner with putting her in slave labor. I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding one bit. I mean, this is 100% real. Basically, as you know, Larvita McFarker we already talked about this dirtbag judge, Sarah Gruing. And by the way, since I went after her, she locked her Twitter account. So again, you just see, just so I'm t- just so you see, there is a lot of potency to training your political fire on local people that aren't used to the just, you know, being like a governor or a president, um, whether it's a sheriff, a school board official, county commissioner, or county judge. That's where we need to train our fire. So she locked her account, but Sarah Gruing fined her $250 per day and basically invited the attorney general, that dirtbag Muslim Brotherhood guy, Keith Ellison, to come back for more. And he did come back for more, and he filed an expedited motion to have an expedited hearing and to, to up the punishment to include prison, a workhouse, or farm labor. I'm not kidding, for six months. And he wants to say it's pursuant to a statute that I guess some arcane statute that would warrant that, and then also threaten to take away the money she has raised from her GoFundMe, or it's a, what a Go Send Give page. Um, you could Google it, Go Send Give, Larvita McFarker. Um, she raised like $40,000 for her legal fees because she doesn't have the money. And they're threatening to take it. Now, folks, let me ask you something about the Constitution. This is not even the Constitution. This is the Declaration of Independence. This is natural rights. Literally threatening to enslave a woman for opening her business. Life, liberty, and property. And these guys are sitting and playing about some provision of what to do when the other side steals an election. What are you talking about? How do you deal with people like that? There is no constitution. And I'm not seeing anyone defending Larvita and going there. Why am I the one who brought her to prominence? And thankfully, Tucker had her on after I did. Where are all these people? Principled constitution. 
This is North Korea. China is not even doing this. This is North Korea stuff that is taking place. And yet silence. And and as I noted, do you know how bad this is? It's not just that the science is off. There, there's three levels here. Number one, the science is off. I mean, it's incontrovertibly true now that restaurants are not responsible. They're just not. It's mainly in the household. There's no evidence restaurants contribute more to, to this. Then there's the second layer. Even if they did, you don't have the right to shut down life, liberty, and property. But then there's a third layer, which is solid that nobody's talking about. Let's say they had that right. This is such a public need and public whatever. You got to take one for the team. There's something called the Fifth Amendment, the takings clause. So first of all, it has to be with due process, and there's no due process here. But even if you had due process, you have to offer just compensation. So there's a concept of taking one for the team, that you have a society, and your area goes over a part of the state or city where we need a vital road. You got to take one for the team. But the concept is that just because your life and liberty happen to be situated there, you shouldn't have to be punished more than anyone else. So what we do is the 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 compromise is, you know, because you have to have a society and there are vital needs. So the government gets to take it. But on the other hand, they have to offer compensation, not a loan program that you may or may not get, not a little bit, but full compensation for what you lost. And I think the Supreme Court in Armstrong v. U.S. in 1960 really spoke very clearly, and it speaks to the time we live in. The Fifth Amendment's taking clause was designed to bar government from forcing some people alone to bear public burdens, which in all fairness and justice should be borne by the public as a whole. And this is perfect. Oh, you make your living online. You work for government. So you're not affected by this. Oh, you're a business owner. Screw you. You're destroyed. No. Even if you believe you have to shut down, then they have to be compensated. And let's say you have a restaurant that you're shutting down for a year, and over that year it would earn five hundred thousand in revenue. You got to give them five hundred thousand, not five thousand, not seven thousand, not a stimulus check, which often they don't get because it goes on last year's taxes and they earn too much to be eligible. You have to give them five hundred thousand dollars. Now, if states, not the feds, it's the states doing it, had to go in and do it. Guess what? They wouldn't have the money. They couldn't possibly come up with the money, unlike the feds. And therefore, this whole house of cards would fall apart. So if we were following the Constitution to begin with, even even if you assume that they could ever do this, which they can't, you can't just indefinitely suspend every brick-and-mortar store's ability to open their business, even under the Fifth Amendment. But even if you would do it, You'd have to offer compensation. But no. And all these like principal concerns. Like I remember hearing some of these guys like, oh, they justified voting for that. The worst bill in the history of the country in March. Well, you know, we owe it to people. I know it's socialism, but look, we shut them down. No, not the feds. The states owe that. The states violated the taking clause. Meaning if you want to say we're all in this together. 
So rather than telling Larvita, how dare you and treating her like a criminal and saying you have to pay, at least say, look, we're shutting you down, but we're going to pay you. No, they don't do that. Instead, you have these vermin dog maggots from from the pit of hell. Government worker. (sighs) And I know we're not governed by the FCC here, but I want to abide by their their rules with language. But you know what I mean? Who work for the departments of health. They earn their paycheck like a bunch of parasites off of taxpayer dollars by shutting down other people's paychecks. That is their job. It's time that we propose in every state Republicans control and every county Republicans control that no state or county official involved in enforcement of these rules can get a paycheck while these restrictions are in place. But instead, they're the ones getting paid. And people like Larvita are left out in the cold. You tell me what our founders thought would be the redress, the form of redress for a situation like that. And yet we're not even doing anything. It's time to shame those sheriffs on a local level to not only not enforcing this stuff, but to stand around that establishment with the arms of their deputies folded and blocking the entry of the State Department of Health and potentially state troopers that are sent down. We are all in this together. We need to be in this together with people like Larvita and so many other business owners that are bearing the brunt of this while some of us get to earn our paychecks regardless. I mean, to get on the case, I'm telling you, it's so much easier. It's an endless pit to go after Biden, a governor, but you go after some of these county officials and force their own hands. There's a lot we can do. That's going to be our project in the coming days and years. But again, all these people that are sticklers for the Constitution. Interesting. What are you going to do about... See, everyone's talking about this New York law, I'm sure you've seen, where they basically have DP camps. Or internment camps. Not not even not DP camps, like internment camps. Where they could just forcibly lock people up for COVID. What, suddenly the Constitution doesn't apply there? And by the way, it's not this proposed... Everyone's focused on this proposed New York law that had, that's just a proposal. It's not a law. But I have news for you. Most of these governor's orders already have some form of that in there. Now, to my knowledge, it hasn't been implemented in that way yet. But let me tell you, they're just getting started. And that's why it's so important to fight and to speak the truth. I'm sick of people saying, well, I don't think we have the votes or I don't think we can do it. It's not going to work. So therefore, we don't do anything. The only way you're going to get to step two, even if you don't have a roadmap is to first go to one let me leave you with this 15 years ago in israel a group of um i mean the the and their government's corrupt there their government used their own military against their own people to throw them out of their homes in gaza and give them to hamas it's part of peace i mean literally the worst thing a government could do to its own people And they didn't succeed in stopping it, but they had a painful fight for a year over it and tore the country apart over it. And they made them pull everyone out of their homes one by one rather than like leaving, you know, at the assigned time. And it was such a painful image 
that what it did succeed is stopping the next tranche because they planned on doing this in, in Judea and Samaria, some other places. This is what we failed to do. We didn't even like, it's not just that we lost. We didn't get on the playing field in 2020. So they had nine months worth of tyranny that they got for free without even having to like suffer the political drawbacks and the bad PR and whatever. So now they're able to go on to the perhaps taking away children, internment camps, because we didn't even fight. It's time to fight. Stop being fat and happy with your 401k and the stock market doing well. There's more fundamental things to fight for. I'll be there for you. I'm only one person. I can't fight every county, every state all the time. But we're going to work hard this year. With your help, the more you send the show around, support our sponsors. And our first sponsor this year, constitutioncoach.com, is not just a you know, betting company or clothing company. That in itself is the solution. It's a grassroots constitution training and, and defense training. So join me. I'll be there February 7th out in Front Sight, Nevada. We'll have a great time. We'll organize together. We'll shoot together. Doesn't get better than that. God, guns, and beer and constitution training with my buddy Rick Green. Drop us a five-star rating at iTunes or wherever you listen to the show. Join us at Minutemen Speak Easy. That's our private Facebook page until we find a better platform that's not censored. But it is private, so you know your identity, you know, it's a it's a private group. It's not public. So you could request admission. May this be the year that God gives us the strength and acumen and resolve to finally say no more to finally bring back human rights, to discover and declare some modicum of sanctuary for constitutional rights in the states that matter. But that begins with understanding the Constitution. And we can't allow one side to violate the most foundational of fundamental parts of the Constitution and then get in the weeds of how every last avenue of redress is somehow we can't do because it violates the Constitution. That's nonsense, and you know it. This is just a flavor of the type of show we're going to put on this year. I wanted to give you a little bit of a longer show to begin the year, um, give you the full hour. Often we don't have the time, unfortunately, because I just got to you know do research writing, talking, and everything. Um, but I wanted to give you a bigger show after two weeks of you know mainly being out. Fight, folks, let's fight on. Let's defend our life, liberty, and property. With God's help, 2021 will be the year we turn the corner.